Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to episode 127 of the BJJ Brick Podcast. I'm Gary, and I'm here with Byron. How's everybody doing today? Everyone is doing great, Gary. Just wonderful day today. You know why? Oh, that's, why? Because John Will's on the show this week. You know, I know I said last week, uh, last time we had John Will on, it was our number one episode in terms of downloads ever. So uh, we expect another incredible episode this week. Absolutely. And the ep- incredible episode has nothing to do with Byron and I. It's due to John Will. So just make sure you guys get that straight. That's, that's true, Gary. Uh, uh, the very, very average podcast podcast we might have something to do with, but uh, John Will, he just provides such great information, and he's so good at explaining things that I think people were just sharing it with their friends and telling people to listen to this particular episode, and so we're super happy to bring him back. Um Great interview. We talk about a huge variety of subjects. We get a little off topic sometimes, but that's fun too. I mean, even the whole time I'm, I, I was writing stuff down and 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 learning and, and making personal notes and, and interview notes and all kinds of stuff. So, uh, just a, a great interview ahead, my friends. You know, I like what you're saying. Uh, as he was talking, you're writing stuff down and learning. That's what I think is pretty neat. Is you can listen to a lot of these guests, and just because they're talking. We're not in a class setting, but you still learn. That's what I think is awesome. Uh, here these people are giving out their knowledge for free to allow us to uh, learn some new new stuff. So uh, definitely do not miss uh, the interview. Um, hey, and so you never miss any interviews in the, fu- in the future, get on our email list. Uh, we have a link to it on the show notes. All you need to do is put in your uh, email address, and every week we'll send you uh, send you a link to the show. So that way you'll never miss a show. And don't worry, uh, we say no to spam. We do not spam your email account. There's no reason, I guess. I mean, we just we just want to send you the show notes every week, and uh, it's a way we can keep in contact with you if something crazy happens, I guess. So uh, not not a lot of spam going on here, Gary, uh, except for the food product, of course. Yeah, it's the only time is every now and then we have a spam sandwich with a side of a fruit salad. There we go. Um, speaking of uh, not spamming, we do need to have some way to keep this podcast going. We're not going the spam route, but we are going uh, the route of sponsoring ourselves with an audiobook uh, called Your First Year of BJJ. Uh, you're going to have me uh, walk you through uh, all the things you might encounter your first year, uh, everything from finding a, your school to the first class, um, all the way up to competing and and. and like recommended techniques you should be working on this first year. Uh, a lot of grounds covered. It's about two and a half hours. It's eleven ninety nine. Uh, the money goes to support the podcast here. Help help keep this brick floating on the water that it's on. And if you can keep the brick floating, now that is something to write home about. Yeah, that is uh, tough to do. And in, and so far through uh, one hundred and twenty seven weeks, the brick has been floating. <laughs> yeah, we we sell a, a couple of. Couple audiobooks every now and then, and it and it just keeps us uh, g- going along uh, on the on the seas, I guess, Gary. I don't know. Yep, we got little floaties on it. So <laughs> it's working. But uh, we appreciate every time we sell an audiobook; it really means a lot to us. And you get a little email that says you sold a book, and usually it seems like it's in the you know middle of the night or something like that. But that's that's nice, and uh, it's a nice way to wake up and and uh, 
and just hey, we sold the audiobook. That's nice. So we appreciate yeah, the see, pat on the back, my friends. You gotta see Byron when he wakes up and sees that an audiobook we sold. He does the uh, the Byron dance. And what I think we'll have to do here soon, yeah, is uh, take a video of Byron doing the Byron dance, and uh, we'll post it on the on the show. There we go. We'll put, and put it on YouTube. Yep. You know, I've got to get all the music tracks together. And it's a rather long uh, dance that takes a course of about three days, Gary. But uh, if we could do this. I think we can do it. Speaking Definitely of things that you can do, occasionally uh, you might find yourself in a, a competition setting. And we have some advice this week from none other than Matt Hughes with our quote of the week. Matt Hughes, uh, you might have recognized the name from MMA <laughs> or wrestling, but uh, yeah, amazing athlete. Hall of Famer. There we go. He says, when you lose, say little. When you win, say less. And, uh, you know, he, he was given the opportunity many times to, to prove himself on this about saying less when he wins. Um, not, you know, there's no reason to run your competition into the ground and, and talk negative about anybody or to really brag yourself up. Um, you know, let your actions speak for for what you've done, and uh, and, and when you lose, it, it, you know, show some respect. You know, and, and you don't have to not say anything at all. But um, you know, don't make excuses. You know, don't don't try to get out of it. You know, you put it all out there. You put yourself on the line. It didn't pan out. That's part of the game, uh, especially in a tournament setting. You know, you have ten people that show up at a tournament. Nine of them will lose at least once. So. Uh, you know, just those those numbers alone are staggering to to think that you're going to never lose, you know, in a, in a match. So just by competing, you're willing to to take that. Uh, when you win, say a little bit, uh, or when you lose, say a little, and when you win, say even less. Just good advice, Gary. Yeah, and I think some of the uh, some of the uh, UFC stars today could probably use this uh, quote. You know, look at it. But uh, you know, Matt Hughes, he he just went out. He just took care of his business. Uh, you know, there's probably a lot of people he didn't like, but, you know, he was always kind of quiet, never really went too crazy unless he read his book. But uh, he just uh, just went out there and handled his business, you know. And, and as you said, you're always going to lose. Um, so handle that with dignity. You enter a tournament, right off the bat, half the people lose the very first match. So you can look at everybody in that whole room, and one out of every two people lost that first match. It's, it's going to happen. So, yeah. Uh, you got me laughing here. You, you said you're always going to lose. <laughs> you, uh, you always could lose. Uh, it's yeah, a you possibility. Yeah, I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> I'll tell you what, my friends. You're going to lose because you're a loser. <laughs> no. Uh, it's just a possibility. That's that's part of the, the yeah, excitement of competing. I yeah, yeah I, I know what you mean, Gary, but it sounded funny as, as um, yeah. I'm listening to you. There's always – you're really, it's almost impossible to go undefeated. If you are, you're probably not going against the right people. That's exactly right. So, so if you're a white belt and you smoke everybody, okay, uh, welcome to competing with the blue belts. Like you probably shouldn't have competed with those white belts anyway. And same thing with you know until you get to the black belt division, you know if you're just destroying everybody that you're running with, um, a what are you learning? And b you're in the wrong division anyway. Did you, did you come for a challenge or for a medal in a Facebook post? You know, there's oh, I'm different only, goals. I'm only here for medals and Facebook posts. <laughs> Well, that's that's uh, it. Could be a deep uh, source of motivation for some people, I believe, and that's fine. Yes. I mean, I like to see people when they do well on Facebook, and and uh, it's always you know nice to see. You know, even like five or six years ago, you wouldn't really know how the tournament turned out. You know, and and now usually if they do well, you hear about it. 
Um, you know, and it's it's always fun to see results on Facebook. But I'm not trying to yeah. down talk that. But uh, no, no, I was just I was just making fun of it. I, Facebook is great. I like to see uh, how people did, like Byron said, and uh, I like to congratulate people. There we go. Yep, I'm I'm with you on that, Gary. Hey, this week we got another uh, very inspirational article, and um, I know Byron, you're the one who got this article. Did is this from one of our listeners? Did he send it to us? I believe he's a listener, or he's just uh, like, you know, acting like a listener to get this article from Sweet Airtime. No, I'm sure he he listens to the show. And, okay, uh, so yeah, so yeah, definitely a, a guy named Jimmy uh, sent us his uh, article. So uh, uh, he's a listener, and we always tell you if you have a have one, send it to us. But uh, we'll put a link to it. It's under sixgunsmartialarts.com. Um, so check it out. But uh, the article is called "Jimmy Starts Jiu-Jitsu." a before and after story. And, uh, you know, this is, uh, I think a lot of people can relate to this. One. Um, Jimmy talks about, uh, you know, he, he, uh, uh basically was overweight, um, wanted to try jujitsu, but, uh, you know, he needed to get, in, we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago that people always say they need to get in to shape first. And, uh, I hear that all the time. I know you've heard that Byron, but, um, Jimmy talks about, uh, you know, three years before he wrote this article, he met a guy named Kevin who was teaching jiu-jitsu in his garage. And uh, uh, Jimmy's buddy was training and, uh, you know, kind of talked to Jimmy, talked to Jimmy, and Jimmy decided to go watch some classes. And, uh, you know, he watched the class and he kept watching some more. And finally, he, uh, you know, he gave it a try. And, uh, but, um, you know, here's a guy who wasn't in shape. He was talking about how he weighed uh, 380 pounds and a little background on himself. He said he had Crohn's disease. He was diagnosed with Crohn's disease eight year in March. He was on two different high blood pressure medicines. Um, he was in poor cardiovascular shape. And he even said he couldn't play baseball catch or football catch with his son without it losing his breath. Um, he smoked. And, um, you know, like I said, he was weighing 380 pounds. But this guy, he, he tried it. He he watched some classes and probably gained, just from watching the classes, he probably gained a little confidence. It's hard to jump in that first one, but the neat thing I liked what I saw was he kept going to classes, even if he was just watching. He got more and more comfortable, and finally he stepped onto the mat. And he was talking about when he was a kid, he had tried uh, traditional martial arts, and, you know, he was talking about how they were, they were cliquish. There was kind of... You know, the higher belts, you know, were too good for everybody and they just worked with themselves and the lower belts just did random katas or drills over in the corner where nobody really cared. And what he thought was so cool about uh, his school, Six Guns Martial Arts, is everybody, the higher belts were jumping in and helping the brand new guys. He said there was no egos. Everybody, you know, got to roll and practice the arts. And, uh, he was like, man, this is this is unbelievable. And uh, he he he's that camaraderie. You get on the mat, he, he got a whole bunch of friends, uh, new group of friends. And you know, I kind of know what me and Byron were talking. You kind of uh, do what your friends do. If your friends do jujitsu, you do jujitsu. And he was talking about in his in his class, there was a CrossFit instructor, MMA fighters, professional boxers, a national champion wrestler, nutrition guys. And he picked all these guys' brains. They all helped him on his journey to get into shape. And 
he's talking about fast forward to today. Um, man, this is awesome. He's off uh, all blood pressure medicines. Um, he hasn't smoked in two years. His Crohn's has been in remissions for two years. Here's the cool part. His son is dedicated to healthy listening, using his dad there as a, as a role model. And uh, he's down to 265 pounds. He's lost 182 pounds. Now, that is impressive. And on top of that, he's achieved his blue belt in jiu-jitsu and his orange belt in judo. That, my friends, is an inspirational story there. Yes, well told, Gary. Go to uh, sixgunsmartialarts.com or click on this link to Jimmy Starts Jiu-Jitsu uh, before and after story on the show notes or on our website. And go there and check out the before and after pictures. Jimmy, he looks like a, one of those guys like, oh, man, I have to grapple this guy now. He's he, he's he's very muscular. He's, he's still yeah. he's a big person, you could tell. But the dude's got freaking huge biceps and like oh man this guy's gonna be throwing me around the freaking mat you know like this guy looks like he's in great shape largely because of jujitsu and like we were saying his he surrounded himself with people who are crossfit trainers pro mma pro boxers and you know jujitsu people if these people you hang out with every day you're going to become more like them as time goes on and that's what he's uh what he's really done with jujitsu making this huge life change uh, lost 182 pounds, uh, which is about what Gary and I weigh, uh, you know, separately. Together. Together. <laughs> but, I mean, that's a whole person. That's a whole adult yeah. male. Yeah. Yeah. This is awesome. I'm super inspired uh, by Jimmy's story here. Yeah, and also, uh, go to the website, check out his shirt. I, <laughs> Gary and I were reviewing the article here, and I literally laughed out loud when I read his shirt. <laughs> I actually want to get that shirt. Should we read it or, or tease everybody making go check it out themselves? Ah, uh, we'll read it. It says, "I don't speak Latin, per se." Again, I can but tell. Man, I, I can tell. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy's a fun guy to have on the mat. You know, you know the people. Yeah. Uh, some people are, are a little more quiet, and that's fine. Some, some are more serious. Uh, Jimmy, he's having a good time. He's working hard. He's he's training hard. He's changing his life. But you could tell he's a fun-loving person on the mat. There. Congratulations, Jimmy. You're an inspiration to us and. Especially, too, because I know I always hear the people say I need to get in shape first. And uh, anybody who says that should read uh, Jimmy's article, and uh, hopefully they can change their life for the better, too. Yeah, we're not uh, advocating you stop taking your medicine or anything like that right away. But, um, you know, with doctor visits and, and some actual fitness program that you enjoy. And uh, Jimmy found jiu-jitsu. He enjoyed it, and uh, and he found his health. If, if you go to jiu-jitsu and you have, you know, 180 pounds to lose and you hate every minute of it keep looking for something else that's enjoyable uh maybe just you just just wasn't for you you know just you've got to find something that's that's enjoyable and and when you uh when it's jujitsu it seems like it's a bigger passion and uh it's easy to stay motivated to get in shape or to stay in shape uh when you're doing something that you love so, uh, but you know what I thought was the best thing about, you know, besides, you know, he lost all that weight, he got healthy. But I just loved how he said his son now follows a healthy lifestyle and he looks up to dad. And I just think that's great. I mean, all those guys helped influence him. He talked about the boxer, the MMA, the CrossFit. And but, you know, also look at his son. His He influenced his son directly. And, uh, you know, his son's got his dad to, uh, you know, thank for the healthy lifestyle he's got. So uh, awesome, awesome story. 
Yep, and the the very last picture of him there is getting a blue belt and uh, well earned, and it's always inspirational to to see somebody hit that milestone, uh, especially with uh, some of the hurdles. You know, I'm sure Jimmy is training alongside people who younger, more fit, you know, and, and they, he has to watch them get their blue belts before he did sometimes. And, and that's uh, evidently it didn't bother Jimmy enough to make him discouraged. Uh, he's on his own journey. Uh, like we all are. He realizes that. And yeah, uh, I don't congratulations, think anything can friend. discourage uh, Jimmy uh, just from listening to that story. I, I don't think he'll ever be quitting jujitsu. He'll be, uh, he'll be going for the long haul. Absolutely. And uh, leave him, uh, you, if you go that far, check out his website, or check out the article, I mean, uh, leave a comment on there and give him a pat on the back, you know. Sometimes uh, a little external motivation is also nice, you know, not just seeing yeah. uh, lifestyle change, you know. So, uh, you know, give him a pat on the back, say, you know, great, great. Uh, I'm, I'm getting ready to write one up here once we get done, uh, you know, doing this podcast. So mine will be on there sometime. So. And also, uh, if you do listen to us and you do have your own blog, let us know. Uh, send us an article. Uh, two weeks in a row we've used our listeners' articles. And to be honest, I'd rather use an article of somebody who listens to us every week. So if you have one, send it to us, bjjbrick at gmail.com, and uh, we'll get it on the air. Yes, we love this. This is, uh, I think these articles are, these are great. They're personal stories and uh, easy to relate to. Uh, motivational, uh, you know, you could write an article about whatever you want, and uh, if it's just related, send it to us. And whether it's a personal story or just some tips you want to share, um, we'll be happy to, to check it out and possibly use it on the show like this. Yeah, I tried to write my own, but Byron said we couldn't use it because it was too elementary. But it kind of went like this: Gary does jujitsu. <laughs> Gary trains very, very, very hard. And it was kind of just like that for a couple more lines. And uh, Byron said it was too elementary, so we couldn't use it. Well, you just you refused to do any illustrations, and it was just like one page with a lot of with like the sentence, and the next page with another sentence. And I thought you could do some work. We'll, we'll get about your you're working on an audiobook this week, and we'll talk about that after the uh, interview, Gary. Okay, perfect. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, all right. Well, with the article wrapped up, we'll put links to that and everything on the show notes. Let's get on with our interview with John Will. He is the most interesting grappler in the world. He reached the top of Everest by sweeping it and taking mount. This is also how the mount position got his name. He had to drop his sponsorship with Beats headphones because they would not fit over his cauliflower ears. Their stock dropped 30% that day. He wore his unwashed gi to a blind date. You're damn right he got a second date. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the BJJ Brick podcast. Stay sweaty, my friends. All right, my friends. I'm happy to bring back John Will to the BJJ Brick podcast. John, it's been a been a little while, but we're happy to bring you back. How, how have you been? Yeah, I've been good. Uh, thanks, Byron. Yeah, happy to be back. Um, I've had a lot of people uh, mention to me that they heard me chat on the BJJ Brick podcast, and I was kind of surprised that everyone seems to know about your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so that's that's really nice. Yeah, it's great to be back. All right, it's great to have you back, and a lot of people, to me, mentioned that they uh, got a lot out of the interview, um, they, a lot of good takeaways and, and advice, and uh, it was a really good learning experience for the listener. So, uh, 
that's another great reason to have you back on the show. And, and I, I definitely felt like there was more questions I could ask you, but uh, we were just running out of time. So here we go again, John. Yes, sir. Can we do uh, – we can't assume that everybody has heard your first interview, I, although I do recommend that they go back and listen to it. It's online, easy to find. Um, but uh, can we get like a little bit of a short history about who you are, where you're training, and what, you, what you're up to? Um, I, I live in Australia, um, down, down the south, down south in Australia, uh, in a town called Geelong, small town, regional town, um, you know, a couple, 300,000 people, something like that. And uh, I've lived here pretty much most of my life. I started in martial arts when I was quite young, doing amateur wrestling and taekwondo and karate, all the normal stuff. Uh, and then um, when I finished school, I went overseas and kind of uh, inspired by the writings of Don Drager, I traipsed around Southeast Asia and India and Japan and Thailand and all of that stuff for maybe eight or ten years and, um, you know, training in different martial arts forms and part of that, during that, trying to fund that, I started the magazine, Australian Martial Arts Magazine called Blitz. Um, it didn't make much money but it, it made me enough to keep me, you know, um, travelling and training and while I was editor of that magazine, I heard about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, one thing led to another, found myself uh, hooked up with Hegan Machado and all the Machado, all of his brothers and... Uh, Started my BJJ training back there in 1986 or 87, and I've been doing that ever since. And now, uh, yeah. most of your students are in Australia, or or do you travel quite a bit and, and teach all over the place? I, I I do I do travel. I, I do about just over a hundred. I think last year I did 115 seminars, which is a little bit over the top. Um, so I I travel pretty much every second weekend. I'm on a plane. Uh, and doing seminars, you know, in different states in Australia because there are a lot of schools in the association that I started, BJJ Australia. Uh, so there are a lot of schools that we have 70 members. Um, they're all autonomous schools and, you know, I take nothing for that. I'm just um, – oh, I do. I get something out of it. Uh, I, I get the network, you know, which is better than having your handout for fees um, and grading fees and all that stuff. So I have, I've created a network. Which, which has given me a, a good living, right, teaching seminars and all of that. So I've created a lot of black belts throughout that network throughout Australia and, and also overseas. I've, I've taught a bit, you know, in America. Um, I've got a black belt up in Seattle, Brian Johnson, um, and another one over in um, Cincinnati, um, Jeff Robeson. So there are a couple of black belts that have, you know, wanted me to, to give them a black belt. So I... Over, over many, many years, you know, I've been making sure that I get out to those schools when I'm in, in the States. Um, and also I go to, to, to Europe and I think I, in June I got 15 seminars in, in England or something. So wow. kind of busy uh, moving <laughs> around. Yeah. You're very busy. How, uh, how long ago did you get your black belt? I got my black belt in, I think, it's in 1987. I'm oh, sorry, okay. sorry, 1997. But I'm... I'm not sure of the month. I think it was in like April. Okay. And how many black belts do you have that um, that you've taken from, I guess, white belt to black belt, or that you've? How many black belts have you given out? Probably ninety around that number. 
it was better when I remembered exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of embarrassing not to be able to say 93, I mean, but it's around 90-something, yeah. Okay, that's cool. That's that's uh, a, a huge impact on the uh, on the jujitsu there. Uh, it sounds like mostly in Australia, but all over different places in the world. Yeah, but mostly in Australia, and it sounds very McDojo-ish, like ninety black belts. What are you doing? But please understand, that's over twenty-five years. You know, so and, and and not all of them are directly from me. You know, they didn't all come out of my school, Byron. It's like some of them have been black belts of mine. And then they've made, you know, they've made their own black belts now. So they're up to like a second generation black belts. So you what, know, I'm counting that. What is what is that like? I can't even really comprehend that. But kind of, how's that feel, or what's that? Is that like, I don't know. Help me I, I out. Guess, I don't think about it much, you know. But I'm kind of. I guess it's nice. Like someone had to do it. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. but it could have. It really, honestly, it could have just been anybody. I mean, it just would have been the first person, you know, the first person on the ground, irrespective of talent or desire or anything, they, they kind of have an edge in that, you know, you're the first person selling ice cream in the States, you know, and you, and, and people, <laughs> you kind of have an edge and you get things going. So it's just organic, you know. It's not. I didn't have a plan or I didn't have, you know, um, the idea of creating some kind of empire, no, and I still don't. I just do my training, and time goes by, Byron. That's a big. That's a big thing for me. Time goes by. You know, you do something for twenty five years, whether it's save ten percent of your income, um, you know, whether it's work on your relationship. It doesn't matter what it is. But if you do something for twenty five years, you're going to see results. Almost, I used to say everything's a ten year plan. Um. But I actually think everything's about a twenty-five year plan. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> the the the, the long term uh, run of things. Yes. You mentioned like yes. a second generation black belt. Um, so yes. how important when when you're giving a black belt is it when you look at the the person? Are you evaluating their ability to teach, or are you evaluating their ability to perform, or is each student uh, evaluated differently and what they're uh, what you think they'll yeah, do in the future? Different, because right? we're all we're all so unique. We're all different. Some have natural teaching talent, some have natural, you know, ability to compete, um, you know, but mostly I want a bit of both. I, I, I don't just care about someone, you know, winning a national title or a world title and they've got a great, you know, they've got a great Delaheva sweep and a great triangle, but they can't tell you if you want to know, you know, half a dozen ways to enter into crucifix and half a dozen finishes from crucifix. They go, well, I, I don't know that because it's not part of my game. That to me is not a black belt. That's an awesome competitor, but it's not what I, in my mind, think of as a black belt. A black belt, someone who's you know well rounded. They've got the knowledge base. They've got some teaching abilities. Um, you know, and be- because most of my black belts, I'm not sure if that's true. Most, but at least the majority. Yeah, I, I would guess more than half of them have a very strong direct connection to me you know meaning they've either come from my school or i've visited them three times a year and over you know 12 years or something they really do kind of adopt my teach some of my teaching methodologies anyway so you know like you do you you to some degree you model people that you look up to so i guess they a lot of them have adopted some of my teaching methodologies so yeah that kind of it's part of it as well we try to create a well-rounded black belt, someone who's 
all, I know I, I've got no right to say this, but I also want them to be of benefit to the world, not just a selfish and highly skilled BJJ person. Well, yeah, that uh, I think that's an important thing. I mean, I don't know why you feel you don't have a right to say that. That's the people are going to be impacting your um, the third generation of, of people underneath you, I guess, and you want them to do it in a positive way, and you want them to have uh, a quality of life that that you're experiencing. Um, last time we talked, we talked about um, how to be an effective student and, and really getting the most out of your instruction. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about being an effective teacher and maybe some some things that teachers do that that really help them get the message across. Yes. Well, that's a big topic because, you know, um, as we've talked about briefly, the, the, the ability to teach and the ability to do are two different things, and they do overlap, obviously, and sometimes they really overlap a lot, but they are different things. I mean, if you look at... One example I talked about the other day, I think in one of my blogs, I'm not sure, um, but was Nadia Comaneci. Remember Nadia Comaneci? Um, she was a Romanian gymnast, the first gymnast ever in the world in an Olympic meet to get 10 out of 10, a perfect score. Okay. Well, her coach was a boxer. I mean, he was a that, – that's his expertise was boxing. And in fact, um, Caroli was his name and he – didn't do very well. I think he almost flunked the um, gymnastics test at physical education school. So he wasn't a good gymnast himself, but he was able to coach someone to the best score in the history of the Olympics. Um, In our world, martial arts, I mean, Greg Jackson comes to mind. Greg Jackson is a great MMA coach who has not competed, as far as I know, himself in any way, shape or form, but he's able to consistently produce people of world-class standard in MMA. So I, I think the martial arts is the martial arts landscape is still tethered to this concept that you have to be the best fighter in the school to be the coach. And I think 10, 15 years from now or whatever, we'll have moved on from that. And I think, you know, you don't need to be because it's, it is a different skill. Teaching is a different skill. It's about strategy. It's about communication, it's about inspiration, about connecting, about the use of language and words and imagery to to get an idea of something into a student's head and show them where that idea fits in the larger landscape of what they're doing. And you don't have to be a world champion yourself to do that. In fact, perhaps in a way, if you are a world champion, you might even be a little bit behind the eight ball in being able to do that because you've spent lots of time training for your own game and not lots of time training to be a teacher. So I think, um, you know, teaching is a skill in and of itself and I think it needs to be viewed that way so that we then tend to keep wanting to hone it. If we're interested in teaching, of course, many people aren't, but I am. And so that you know, that's something we want to continually hone, and it's a vast subject. Yeah, it it, it is a a deep subject. Um, you you kind of talked about using imagery uh, to to teach. Could you maybe give an example of, of something that you've uh, used imagery to help communicate with your students? Okay, when the most recent uh, last night uh, teaching Kimura. So teaching Kimura, the idea for me is we want to get um, the arm that we're attacking, away from the body. 
because the problem we have when we get Kimura is they bring their elbow into their body, right? So we want to separate that arm out. So me, that's one of the number one things, isolating the arm from the body. So I think I use it like I was talking about a, a lion separating a zebra from the herd. You know, he wants to separate that zebra out there, get it away from the rest of the herd, get in between the little zebra and the herd, and then hunt it down and eat it. Sorry, vegans. Um, but <laughs> there it is. So, you know, using that kind of imagery, it's kind of, oh, wow, yeah, it, it makes sense to people who don't want to think about, you know, I could say, you know, I could talk about that from an anatomical or biomechanical point of view and it gets a bit dry and a bit wordy, but separate the zebra from the herd. Get that elbow away from the body and then we get the lock and we apply it. Get something in between that arm and the body. Um, and those are simple concepts. That, that idea, that imagery, you know, puts a picture straight into someone's head without them having to understand the biomechanics. Or, you know, there's an example. It seems like to me when I'm trying to pick up a, a move that that is fairly new to me or, or totally new to me, remembering what was told to me when I learned it is a difficult thing to do sometimes. Like, I, okay, I'm doing something. Clearly, I'm doing something wrong. It's not. I'm not getting this uh, Kimura to, to happen. So the, I'd imagine this image will pop into my head of of the the lion and the zebra, and and that will help. Uh, just from memory point of view, help me remember that and then also be able to visualize how important that actually is. Yeah, yeah, well, we are visual learners. You know, we, pe- people talk about kinesthetic learning, visual learning, auditory learning. Sure, all those things are, but look, it's mostly visual. It's not, in my experience, it's 90% visual. We see, we copy. We see, we model. So you put an image. You can talk words, and it does help the auditory learners when you when you explain it. But most people want to get an instant picture of something in their mind. But that coupled with understanding, like, I don't know, what's an example? Say we want to hit a double leg or a single leg. So, so we drop our level, like we lower our level down. We drive off the back foot to connect up. Once we've connected up, we've got the legs, then we fold our knee to the ground, put weight, then we step to the side, and then we build our base back up and take them down for a double leg. But what I always try to do, coupled with some kind of imagery, is also shrink my explanation down to monosyllabic instructions, meaning drop, step, fold, step, drive. You know what I mean? So, so that you can go home later on, you go, all oh, right, drop, step, fold, step, drive. Easier to remember than drop our level, step, big penetration step in between his legs, fold our knee to the ground. So I'll try to include the word, like say so when I say drop our level, I'll emphasize the word drop when I'm saying that. I'll say drop our level so that later on I can shrink back to just the word drop. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that you go home, I start out with a paragraph, if you like, then I'll shrink to a sentence, but then I'll shrink to a word. So that now I can say while you're moving around, Byron, drop, step, fold, lean, step. I can say it faster than you can actually do it. So I'm not slowing you down, and it's easier for you to remember when you make your notes later on or whatever. 
I'm loving yeah. that. That, that. That's a good way to – you first give them the, the paragraph, the big uh, – here's the details. Yes. And But while you're doing that, you're implanting – you emphasize certain words that you're going to bring back. And, and yes. it's like, like, a, like a plan, like it's a – like a yes. well-written book that comes back, and this little detail you read about, you know, hundred pages back, is now an important factor. It's it's well like yes. a your, your lesson is well thought out. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I try to do that. That took me a lot of time to get used to doing that because I have to know what words I want to shrink back to before I start my explanation. So it, it's not it's not easy, mm-hmm. um, but it's something that, like everything else, you know, if you do it for a few years, it becomes a habit. And they don't even know that you're doing it. Um, so I like that distilled commands. I call it distilled commands. So I distill, I distill the explanation of the technique down to a down to a sentence, and then further down to a word later on. So any technique becomes a series of words. Yep. Yep. That uh, I'm, I'm loving this. I'm, I'm having to. I've got. I've already got my page full of notes over here already. I'm, and we barely started, John. So uh, things are going good here on my end. Um, you mentioned a little bit ago about like the the world class athlete uh, trying to teach something versus uh, like like your examples you're giving now about teaching. Like the world class athlete isn't going to necessarily think I need to boil this down to to drop step and and all these uh, simple things for the student to understand. Um, is it partly because the world class athlete a lot of times picked it up a little easier, and so they didn't understand the struggle and what was hard about doing a takedown or what was difficult about a Kimura. Kimura is easy. I know how to do that. I've always been good at Kimura versus the student who may be struggling with figuring this out, and they, they need that analogy for the zebra and the, and the lion. Is, is that one thing that maybe make it more difficult for a world-class instructor to become a good – or a world-class competitor to become a good instructor because they had a, a different road as a, as a student maybe? Barn. Yeah. Um. I, 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 I actually don't think that that's the main reason. Okay. I think there are other reasons. Would you like to hear them? Yes, yeah. I would love to. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm not saying, you know, world-class competitors can't be great teachers. They, they certainly can be. I'm just saying there are some challenges that they can have. And here's what I think the number one challenge is. They struggled. They've forgotten. Okay. And so if we take Andre Agassi, for example, with tennis – and you ask him how to how does he do his serve over the net? He may well tell you what he's doing now, but may forget how he got to what he's doing now because he's been doing it for 25, 30 years. So he'll go, well, I just do this and I do this and I do that, but that doesn't help me who hasn't done the 25 years. So one of the people, one of the things that people do is they can look at a world class, look at a world champion, say, well, that guy's doing this move this way now. So if I do that move that way now, hey, I can be a world champion. But that logic is the same logic as, you know, like was out of a Seinfeld episode. There's a ratchet set. There's a pretty girl holding the ratchet set. If I buy that ratchet set, <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, just because the world champion is doing that move, if you do that move, you do not become a world champion. You have to walk the same road that he did to get to that move. He's doing it that way because he's doing it that way based on he's done it for 20 years. He's modified it 5%, 5%, 5%, 5%. We, we can't expect him 
to have total recall about that whole process of how we got it there. So he teaches us his latest version and then we struggle. So that's one of the dramas that champions can have. They try to teach you (laughs) their version of something without you having walked the same process or the same path as they have to arrive at that point. I remember when I was, an example of this was um, I was talking to a friend of mine in England who owns a gym called Red Corner Gym. You know that boxer called Prince Nazim? Yeah, I think so. It sounds familiar. You know, he was this kid, a Middle Eastern kid. He used to box world champion, beautiful boxer, with his hands down next to his hips. You couldn't hit him in the head. His movement was so beautiful. He'd walk, move around the ring, and no one could hit him. The guy, the owner at Red Corner Gym, a great boxing gym in England, told me that the year Prince Nazim became champion, more kids got knocked out in boxing than in the history of boxing <laughs> because they were all trying to model his end product. They didn't see him in the garage with his hands up, ducking and weaving for 12 years. They just saw the end and went, I'll model him, therefore he's world champion. I should do what he's doing. Right? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So we have to walk the same road. We have to do the same thing and acquire, to some extent, the same kind of level of experience in someone's ability to do their, their reverse triangle, their kimura, you know, their people look at Kino Cornelius and go, well, Kino Cornelius is great. He's doing worm guard. I'll do worm guard. Therefore, I'll be like him. No. You need to, if you want to do that, Look at what he was doing when he was a blue belt and kind of, you know, follow the progression the same way. Maybe you can do it more quickly because we have the benefit of what he's contributed and his explanations, but you have to walk the same path. So that's one of the dramas I think people have. That That is a – I love the, the boxing example that people started doing – trying to do what this, this boxer was doing and they were just getting knocked out, like the, the <laughs> a record of knockouts because of yeah. – <laughs> Classic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it says it so clearly that this clear, this was, was not working for the people that were trying it, and they just didn't understand what was really behind that, what was uh, at a deeper level. And um, I keep wanting to go back to, to your blog. Uh, what's, where can somebody go to see your blog? They can go, I, I don't know. BJJ.com.au, I think. <laughs> I think it's BJJ.com.au. Is that is that right? If you, go, if you go to bjj.com.au, au for Australia, um, yeah, you, you'll see my blog. There's a link to my blog. Yeah, there. yes, that's how I get to it. And and right. we're talking about like a, a deeper level of things. W- one of your blog posts uh, talked about a tree and kind of comparing that to jujitsu. Can you can you explain that to me a little bit? Well, um, I I think that. One of the cool things um, about today that didn't exist 25 years ago is the internet. So, um, <laughs> oh, yeah, I, it's awesome, right? Because I yeah. can get on right now and go to Marcelo Garcia or Keno Cornelius or John Jacques Machado or Higam or anyone who I, who's got something that I think, oh, gee, they do that. I'd like to be able to do that. I, and I can see it. Um, so we have so much information now that people – I think a lot of the times, especially, you know, um, people with less experience are what I call lost in the foliage. So they look at a tree, there's a basic idea, might be um, spider guard, and there's some basic spider guard idea, right? So the guy who invented spider guard didn't have 15 sweeps, 
he could just his name was Tellerico, and he, he could just hold the spider guard position. And then after a while, he developed one sweep. And then he did it to you every night. So finally, you learned to do a certain thing, which, which forced him to develop a second sweep to deal with you. And that happened over time, and then he ended up with a DVD set. And now we, we, we look at that DVD set or that YouTube thing, and we go, I want to do you know the fifth sweep or the 20th sweep. I want to do all that, but without following the same process. Like the, so it grew like the trunk of a tree. It started out with one thing, it came to a fork, that technique, that technique, or that version of the spider guard sweep, or that one if he's countering me, and then it forked again, forked again, until the tree grew foliage, and that's kind of like an idea of what BJJ is today. So it's very natural, I think, for people to eventually, if they don't understand that, figure that out. And for their gaze to be drawn ever upward and into the foliage, you know, what's the latest thing, what's the newest development, what's that... But what's interesting to me is that below ground with any tree, there's a root system that is at least as intricate. So I think of that as the fundamental or invisible part of jiu-jitsu. You know, where to apply weight, on what part of the lever, um, you know, when, in what order, when, it, when we do a certain sweep, think there are three or four processes perhaps, what are the order, the firing order of those processes? In which directions are we pointing? You know, so the invisible parts. So you don't – I understand why people go out into the foliage. It's interesting and I want to be interested and I want to be entertained and I want to be mentally stimulated. But I'm, all I'm saying – and that's cool – but all I'm saying is you could also be mentally stimulated by looking at things you think you already know really well but looking more deeply into it. You know what I mean? I think so. Instead of looking for the next version, the next version, always looking over the hill for the next best thing, maybe it's right there. But you can look down as well as look out. Right? So, so I like to look down as much as look out. It's easy and natural to look over the next, look over the next hill. What's the next shiny object in this ADD world we live in? What's the next best thing? It's easy to keep doing that. It's less intuitive to just go back to the thing you think you already know and really look at it again through our new eyes, our new black belt level eyes, and go, wow, hang on, I never thought about that, and you've just improved that by 5%. So sometimes drilling down and looking at the roots of the tree is equally rewarding as to climbing up into the branches looking for the next best evolution of a move. Something like that. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. There's a lot there uh, we could talk about all the way from the developing the trunk. I, I like how you kind of explained um, spider guard, how at first it was somebody could hold the spider guard. That was – That's it. That's what we're doing here. I'm going to get here. I'm going to hold it and try to pass, but you're going to have a hard time. And that, I think yeah. I've, I've experienced that a lot of times when I learn something. Like I remember trying to figure out uh, to get a good triangle choke. My yeah. my goal was to get the triangle set up to where I had uh, one arm in the triangle, one arm out of the triangle, and that was my goal because yeah. I, I, to finish it was too difficult. But I could, if I can get there more, I would eventually figure it out. It seems like yeah. that's a similar process with a, with, a, with a lot of techniques and a lot of development. If you could set your goals a little bit lower than finishing the triangle or getting that sweep off the spider guard, uh, you, you might be off to uh, a more practical road maybe. Well, you know, to state the obvious, um, it, that's exactly what the first guy who did it did. 
You know, Marcelo Garcia didn't wake up one day with 15 X-Guard sweeps. <laughs> you know, he wasn't visited by the Archangel Gabriel who went, here we go, you know, that didn't happen. What he did was lift up his butterfly hook because he had a butterfly guard, sweep the guy to the back corner, the guy's leg went up there and he went, I think I'll grab that. <laughs> and he grabbed it, put his other foot in and he held the guy for a bit and went, that's cool. And then, and, and then that kept happening and then he developed one sweep and then over time another sweep and then another sweep and now you can go and buy the DVD set. So then people come in and go, I want to do the whole DVD set. Whoa, Marcelo's the best guy on the planet at that and you're telling me you want to jump to the end without doing what he did, which is just get it, <laughs> you know what I'm right? So it's a little insane. So that's, um, that's part of the teacher's challenge to have a nice balance between giving the students what they want and actually giving them what they need. Yeah, I, 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 that, that's a, a great example, and it's easy for me to understand and, and to think about my own uh, development. As I'm, I'm looking at this tree uh, that, that we're talking about and describing and relating it to jiu-jitsu, what would be like, and maybe this isn't going to go anywhere, but um, sometimes a branch will fall off its tree. A lot of times a tree will lose some leaves and grow new leaves later on. Can you maybe relate that to maybe a development of jiu-jitsu and, and changing things? Lots of stuff are dead ends. Um, you know, like you, you come up with an idea, right? And, and lots of great discoveries have been done by accident and they've been great. And then lots of planned expeditions have come to nothing. But that's that's all part of it, right? That, you know, like there might be, um, you know, you, 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 you've got this move. Someone, you do it all the time in your map. They get to know you. Um, so they come up with a very weird way of stopping you doing your move but you're emotionally invested in the move, so you have to come up with a way to get around their weird way of stopping your move. And it ends up in a really weird place, like down the rabbit hole, that has no relationship <laughs> to the real world or maybe even to competition. But, you know, you've let that evolution run its course. So that might be a dead end. That branch might drop off. But then you'll back up and you'll get, you know, you'll go down another branch, which will take you a lot further. So I think that's kind of natural, and it's all just part of the um, exploratory process, and it's all it's all good. We've talked a lot about uh, quality instruction from uh, the teachers. You just kind of talked about a little bit about uh, having a teammate and 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 going you know off some uh, rabbit hole with a technique and, and maybe exploring it to a point to where it's it's really past being practical. But how important is the qual- the quality of your teammates versus the the, the instructor that's there um, for, for development oh, of the team. I th- well, I think they're both a really important part. Um, to me, Byron, um, I'm mean, into everyone, whether they know it or not. They're creating a culture on the map. Everyone's got a culture. Um, it's just what kind of culture. So, I want to create a culture that if I drop you in there, you kind of can't help but learn because everyone's there for you. Here's what's an interesting idea that I try to get going on my mat. You come up and join my school. You are not there for you, which sounds weird and it's counterintuitive because clearly you are. But I say, look, we're going to try to get to a point where in my advanced class, you're not there. Byron is not there for Byron. You're there to help the other 25 guys on the mat. 
it sounds like a bad deal until you realize that if they're all on board with the same idea, you've got 25, 24 people there for you. They're not there for themselves. So that's really cool because they're there to help you expose holes in your game and then fix them. So I think it's hugely important that the students are all about that. Now, a purely selfish fighter, usually they're a bit of a drama because they're not on board with that idea. They are clearly there for themselves. They are not there for other people. They don't fit into the culture of my school very well. Are you talking about um, like an MMA fighter is typically or just the competitor jiu-jitsu style of person? I can't really – I mean either, but – it's just that at some point, if you really want to get somewhere, you need other people to help you. So you need to be there to help them. So, you know, fighters like professional fighters tend to be a little bit more selfish than people who are hobbyists, let's say. So at some point, I think they just need to get on board with we need to all help each other. The better you help your teammates, the better they are going to be to then, you know, wrestle you or roll with you or spar with you and then the better you'll be. So we have to we have to help each other out. And that's that's something that I've been to I've seen gyms where that's not going on. And it's ten guys trying to, you know, kill each other um, in a small space. And it very rarely gets to a really high level because they just the, the environment isn't rich enough. What you want is 100 people in that environment with a huge cross-section of skills. Um, and then if you're in that environment, it's easy for you to become inoculated against a wide variety of skill sets. So, you know, you know what I'm, I'm saying? So, so a lot of people, you, you want a really rich, high-level environment. You're not going to create that if it's full of selfish people. Yeah, and, and I'm not, we're not trying to just stereotype all, lump all fighters into one category and, and, and all. But um, I'm kind of picturing a room of, of friendly grapplers who, when you make a mistake, you get done rolling, and they'll you know if you they'll show you, hey, here's what I did. Here's here's your mistake. You did this. Next time, try to do this instead. Versus um, a room where uh, you might get, you might learn from the role. You might be uh, in a, in a rougher environment, but you're not going to get that feedback uh, verbally or uh, or from your training partner after the role that will give you like here's what you need to do differently for next time. It's it's more like a just just the just that type of an environment where you have to just kind of figure it out for yourself sometimes versus have your everybody be on the board to help you out. Is that kind of what I'm getting with? Yeah, 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 exactly. And I'm not being judgmental about it. I'm just saying that's what I want. Right, so, you know, other people might want something different. That's cool. They can do what they want. I'm just saying, for me, that's the environment I'm trying to achieve. And even with our little kids, um, I don't teach the kids' classes. My wife teaches them. But one of the early games we play is a game I made up called Sharks and Tuna. Oh, Tuna, sorry. Sharks Sharks and Tuna. So with Sharks and Tuna, right, we have like three sharks out the front, little kids on their knees. And then the rest of the class is there. We say go. They've got to run around the mat and tag someone. If they tag tag you, you lie on your back with your hand in the air. The only way that you're going to get back in the game, their job is to 
tag everyone, so all tuna are laying down with their hand in the air. But the only way you get back in the game is if one of your teammates jumps on top of you and does an armbar. Now you're free. You're back <laughs> in the game. Right? So it teaches them armbar. But what it really teaches them is if you don't help someone out, there's going to be no one left to help you out in two minutes' time. And that's the message we try to get across to them. And that's one of our early kids' games. Pretty cool. That is pretty cool. I, I, I'm, now I'm interested in, in these kids' classes because I was thinking that you would have the kid just go give that kid a high five as they uh, ran by. But the arm bar is like, of course, that's a way better idea. Do you have any other games you could just share with us uh, quickly here? Oh, look, I'm not a kid's teacher. Okay. I'm, I'm, not allowed, I'm not allowed anywhere near my school <laughs> until those classes <laughs> My wife is the one for that. She's got the kid gene. You know, they, they love her. Um, you know, we – some other things she does, put a sock on, a sock, one sock on each foot. So you've got you to grapple to get their sock off. So you can't just flop back to your guard and play open guard. They'll pull your sock off. So it's about trying to dominate on top. It might be get a clothes peg and put it on the back of their collar. So now you do the opposite. Now you've got to use your feet to create distance so they can't get the clothes peg and pull it off your collar, right? So there's all kinds of things you can do to, uh, you know, to kind of – emphasize a skill like the sharks and tuna when I sharks and tuna for American audiences um, that game it doesn't have to be armbar right you could uh, say for example you tag me I can lie down with my legs open so the way I get freed up is you come into my guard I do a scissor sweep and now we're free so you can just use it to you know um, work on any skill that you've just been taught yeah. cool. just creative stuff yeah it's like yeah. And, and it's not just teaching the the skilled armbar, like you said. It's teaching them the the. It's changing the culture of the of the classroom for the kids. Like if you don't help out your your training partners, they're not going to be able to help you. They're not going to be there. The game will be over. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I I, I picture a lot of uh, this going on uh, all over the all over the place because this sounds like a, a great activity to to help kids understand multiple concepts and and uh, yeah, cool. I'm glad you shared it with us today. Because we, we always want – well, when I say we, I mean it's important for me where I am in my life. We want – I want people to take something else away, not just the omoplata set up. You know, I want to relate it to life. I want to relate it to – because the idea would be that they got the most leverage out of their jiu-jitsu training, meaning that they can lever, lever the um, – the learning and the principles into some other aspects of their life. So their life is improving beyond just their ability to fight. That is, that is important for me right now. Um, you know, whereas when I was 30, it wasn't. It was, no, it's just about being able to beat the guy in a fight. That's a pretty narrow way to look at the world. I mean, who cares, you know. You're going to wake up one day and go, Wow, that's an awesome cabinet of trophies that I've got. Then you're going to be doing that in a one-bedroom apartment by yourself, staring at that trophy cabinet. That's a pretty sad outcome. So I want the complete opposite end of the other side of the bell curve from that. I want their life to be replete with understanding, joy, success, happiness. So I, I always try to relate what we're doing on the mat to some other aspect of their life. And I think people appreciate that at my school. Um, maybe it attracts them. My school attracts people who appreciate that. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that idea. Could you maybe 
um, and this might be hard to do on the spot. Think of a of a time that you were you were on the mat showing a technique, and you uh, relate it to some off the mat uh, real life advice. Oh, I can hundred hundred of them. <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> um, someone wants to. Someone in mind wants to uh, late last mid last year. They want to lose some weight. They've tried everything. They are struggling. So, what's their goal? I ask. What's your goal? Oh, I've always I've been wanting to lose twenty kilos for four years. Okay. So, how do we get out of side control? Because when I saw you underneath side control before, you did not get out in ten seconds. Like. But what you did was you got a bit on your side and then you got a little bit of an underhook and then you got on your side some more and then you could move your hips some more and then you could sneak a knee through and you could snag a half guard. So you didn't escape from side control, but what you did do was improve your situation by 5% and then you did another 5% and then you did another 5% until you're out. So I know your goal was to get out of side control, but that's not what you – that's not how you did it by focusing on the goal. You focused on improving your situation by 5%. So with the weight loss, why don't we do the same thing? I know you want to lose 20 kilos. I don't care about that. Can you lose half a kilo oh, – sorry, one pound? One pound by the end of the week. A whole week, lose a pound. All you've got to do is modify one meal. Eat Mars bars for breakfast, but modify one meal a night. <laughs> and by the end of the week, you'll lose a pound. You've improved by 5%. Repeat that for 20 weeks, and we're there. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way, and I think it's a common – it's a great example because it's a common goal for a lot of people who are on the mat. Uh, I also want to lose weight. I also want to become more fit. And um, it, it, those yeah. goals seem like sometimes that they're impossible. You know, it just doesn't happen. And uh, yeah. it's like having the goal of being a black belt when you're starting. Yeah. So, so, that's not <laughs> yeah. your goal. That should, that's, that's too far out there. Yeah. You My mean, goal was always just, can I turn up for the rest of the week? <laughs> <laughs> I've had weeks like that too. <laughs> yeah. um, I just want to get to Friday. <laughs> you mentioned – that's, yeah. that's a fair enough goal. You know, there's nothing wrong with – yeah, look, look. Even the, the the people, some tribesmen in Africa with no internet have worked that out. There's an African saying: "How do you eat an elephant?" And the answer is easy: one bite at a time. Yeah, that I mean. Just- so you know, forget about the whole. I think people can have. I think this. Have you have you seen the book The Secret? I think I've heard of the book. Yeah, good. Don't buy it. Okay. I mean, you know the secret. If you think about the goal and you keep in intention on the goal, the universe will manifest it for you. What a lot of bullshit. I mean, excuse my Australian. <laughs> but, you know, thinking of the goal and having that goal planted firmly in your mind and staying focused on the goal is going to achieve nothing. You can have a, you can have a poster of a Ferrari on your wall and I'm telling you the only thing that will manifest behind that is a family of spiders. Nothing's going to happen. What you need to do is put five percent of your income in a jar, <laughs> you know, right? So, so you, you've got to take steps, and it's the steps that are important, not the goal. And of all the steps, only the first step is actually the one you should be putting your attention on, and then you'll blow past your goals. 
So I'm not one that believes in goals. I'm, I'm, I'm anti the whole goal-setting movement. I'm about process. Um, and to me, that's everything. I don't care about your goal of losing 20 kilos. Can you just get through this week and have salad instead of pasta with your fish every night instead of pasta and fish? Can you just do that? Um, because if we do that, you're going to lose a pound or two and then we just repeat and we repeat and we repeat and then one day we look up and we've gone, oh, I've lost 35 kilos, um, you know, pounds, whatever. So to me, I'm about process. I'm not about goal fixation. And it seems like the, the times I've been able to implement that sort of thing into my life, after a few weeks, um, the, I've made the adjustment. It's not a big deal anymore. And I'm looking to make another uh, small adjustment in my life and really uh, kind of ramp up what's happening to me. Yeah. You change one meal, and then I'm used to having that sort of a meal. And now I can also have a smaller, uh, you know, a little bit less ice cream yeah. opposed to my, my usual amount. And that's, you know, I'm used to that amount of ice cream. You, you mentioned a little bit ago about escaping sight control. And, yes. and you said that uh, you didn't get out in 10 seconds. Yes. Um, I kind of keyed in on that because I, I want uh, my students to be able to escape quickly. I think that that's an important thing that um, sometimes it, students don't realize that a quick escape is a lot better than a, than an eventual escape, uh, although both are nice. Um, what would be um, a way to explain that to where people could really stress, uh, men's eye control, get out now versus wait around and, 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 to, and to see what happens? Okay. Well, actually, Byron... I would like to I, – I don't want to put, you know, like my thoughts in your head I, I mean, because we all have got different ideas. But natural fact, I think we're talking about two different things. Okay. Getting out quickly I think is much more about prevention and improving our position incrementally little by little is more about worst-case scenario. Okay. Right. And I, I think they're two very different things. So, you know, preventing – you're passing my guard and I say, well, Bar- it, looks like, it looks like it looks like Byron's getting past my guard. I better set up for my escape before he consolidates his side control. That's going to send me down the path of what you would call a quick escape. Okay. Or, but then there's something very different. Byron's got his side control fully established on me. And I'm in the worst possible, with no frame, nothing in between, worst possible scenario. Now it's about incremental, incremental, incremental. And they have two very, very different things. It's like saying, I guess, one's surgery to fix a problem and one's avoid the problem by eating this way and doing this strength and conditioning training. They're two very different things, but they're both equally important. <laughs> like, you know, right? I want to do prevention rather than cure, but I also would love to know that, you know, um, cedocyte is just down the road and that really good surgeon's there. I, I want both, <laughs> and it's important to do both. Yeah, I, I, I agree, and I like the way you um, kind of took it apart and explained it to me in a better way. I, I do stress that if, if I'm going to pass your guard, and you know it's going to happen, and it's it's very close in time to happening. Get your arms ready, get get your frame ready to go, so you can get out quickly. Um, but you also need to be able to get out when you're when you're stuck in side control and you're not in a good position. And those are two different yes, things, and 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 two very important skills. I totally agree, and I like the way you separated that out for me. Yeah, we, we used to call it in the hole, in the hole training. So I'd get in the hole, 
and you'd be you'd establish whatever position you wanted to the best you could, and then I've got two minutes to get out as many times as I could, if at all, you know. And, and, and then your turn was in the hole, you know. And, and so we'd often do that with three people. So I'd get in the hole. I'm underneath. You get your side control. If I escape, the other guy gets on side control on me. If I escape, then you get back on me. So you keep tag teaming on top of me for X amount of time, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes. Then we switch. Someone else goes in. That, that's really cool. It's an old school drill we used to call in the hole training, uh, and that is specifically training for worst case scenario, which is not what we want when we're rolling, <laughs> right? to, to be clear. We, we, our job is to avoid that at all costs, <laughs> but it does give you confidence. So what I would say about in the hole training or you know worst case scenario training, it's a confidence builder. Real, really does it. Yeah. You know, if you can get out of the worst case scenario, well, how happy are you then? How confident are you to try anything you want when you roll? Because you know, if it goes bad, you can get out. It's one of the things. Um, even though I'm kind of loath to speak for him, but Jean-Jacques Machado was extraordinarily good at that. Um, the, 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 the urban myth is that he didn't attack for four years when he was quite young. He defended. He learned to escape every single position, and then no one can hold him. So now how, it, how confident is he at doing, you know, a jumping on the plata? Because if it all goes wrong, what does he care? He's going to get out. Whereas if you're not confident of escaping, then you're going to second guess every attack you're going to do because you're going to be worried about the downside. So to me, it's like having a trapeze net. If I've got a trapeze, a trapeze, do you call it trapeze? Yeah. If I've got a trapeze net under you, you're going to try all kinds of tricks up that in that um, that that stuff up in the sky. But it, but if I don't take away the net, what are you going to do? You're going to be very conservative and you're going to second guess everything because. Uh, there's a very bad outcome if you blow it. So we want to build a trapeze net for ourselves on the mat, uh, and that is escaping worst case scenario. Well, that that's cool, and this is that's a a very good drill that you you shared with us about um, developing your escapes. Because a lot of times when you're rolling, you don't get put in those positions if you're uh, one of the more advanced students, and so that's not a that'll be a, definitely an area of weakness for you uh, in the long run. Yes. But but putting yourself there in a drill is a great opportunity. I think a lot of times, you've mentioned several drills already. Uh, but I think a lot of times people hear the word drill and they think uh, they, they mentally image two people doing arm bars for five minutes straight, back and forth, back and forth, arm bar, arm bar, arm bar, arm bar. And this type of drill with a little bit more um, a live sparring aspect of it, like we're going to drill this position, we're going to drill bad situations and not um, repetitive uh, actions. Um, can you talk a little bit about the difference of those and, and maybe the place of each one or, or what you think about them? Well, drilling a technique um, is a little bit different than drilling a situation. So, you know, a situation is not an armbar, you know. Um, yeah. So, so that, that a situation is different. It's kind of like, exploring different ways to get out of a cave system where deep underground and there's three different tunnels. We've got to systematically find which is a dead end and which way is a way out. And it's, it's almost, whereas the other way, like getting doing the armor, doing the armor, doing the armor is almost like finding your way into the cave. It's way easier to go in <laughs> because you're just going down 
make doing things, but finding your way out is different. So it's, you know, I, 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 dif- I make a distinction between situational rolling and drilling a technique, which is just developing the um, gross motor skills at, at, at the start and then the fine motor skills and then the awareness of the biomechanics of the move. That's quite different than situational sparring, which we, you know, we used to do, I guess it was 50-50, something like that, you know, half-half, those two different things. They both have an important role, but it's, they do different yes. things. Sounds they like. do different things, yes. Because it's too, it's too easy. Say you and I get on the mat, right, we roll around for five minutes. It's very difficult to remember all the things that happen in that role. Um, but one of the things that Hegan Machado used to say is, you've only got to wrestle for 30 seconds before you'll find a problem. Why not fix it? You know, if we're trying to learn... I get in there, you pull me to Z guard, Z guard or something and, and I have a little bit of a drama with it, then it's worthwhile trying to fix that problem rather than somehow I get past, then it's under the crucifix, now it's on a normal plateau, then I jump over, then you pull worm guard, then all these different things. And so at the end of the you know, five-minute bout, the only thing you and I remember is the last 20 seconds. <laughs> you know, We don't yeah. remember the other 15 bits of drama that we had. So that's a lost opportunity. And we could have you know, fixed, we could have looked at any one of those situations and worked on it. So it's, ne- it's never hard to find stuff to work on. Roll for a couple of minutes and if you're honest, you'll find all kinds of stuff that you had problems with. Pick one and then put yourself in that situation and then both work it, see what happens. Yeah, it's a, it's a great – I mean, we've talked about the great online resources that are available for everybody and, and, and just the amount of information out there. But there's a ton of information you could just find yourself that's – uh, incredibly relevant to you. It's very personal. 100%. Mm. So. That's true because we are, you know, everyone's smart. You know, I mean, some people are more smart than others, but it, it doesn't really matter. Everyone's smart enough to figure stuff out on the mat, provided that you don't blow past them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we can yeah. figure it out. You know, we weren't all waiting around till. Some guy invented how to make fire, and when you and I were all shivering until it got to where we were, no, we all invented how to make fire. We, you know, we're like all over the planet, and we all figured out how to put our shoes on, and we all like so we are all capable of solving problems. But the key is you've just got to not blow past the problem. You've got to be willing to marinate in the problem with a cooperative training partner long enough to figure it out and there's two of you to figure it out <laughs> uh, you know come yeah. on <laughs> it's not that hard. yeah yeah it just seems like that versus um watching the world champions and trying to em- do emulate that activity yeah that may not be really that relative to what you're actually able to do and what you're what you're doing today when, versus when you have a teammate we ended up here i got confused let's figure out what's good for me that just seems yeah. like like it's worth every second on the mat is worth like gold right there because that's that's your jitsu. It's very personal. Yeah, right. That's a great that's a great concept. It's very and I didn't mention that, but that's very good. It's it's relevant to you now. That's real. Yeah, good. I like that. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you like that, and I I I, I like your. We already mentioned your blog. Um, it, you have, I just want to describe it just briefly from what my perspective of it is. 
you seem to post uh, uh, sometimes every few days, every week or so. I don't know what kind of schedule, but often enough that I go by and check it on a fairly regular basis. And your posts are, I appreciate them that they're short. That it's usually two or three paragraphs. And it's a very good idea uh, just presented in a, in a well-thought-out manner. Uh, on your blog, though, I keep seeing like a logo of a cat. Um, what is it? What, what's with the cat? It's a it's a cat's head. Yeah, red, I call it, it's red cat. Red cat's the name of my academy. Um, my academy is red cat. Red cat academy. It started out a long time ago um, in Indonesia. My name was Meong, uh, which is Indonesian Balinese for cat. That's my my nickname over there because um, I used to live there on and off for like eight years. And one day, <laughs> I don't want to go into it too much, but <laughs> I was a different person back then, you've got to okay. understand. Yeah. And I came back to training with blood all over me um, <laughs> and there was a few of us covered in blood. And the person who was trying to clean us up said, well, it's Red Cat today because it was red. And so <laughs> it's always been in the back of my mind and I've, I've just recently rebranded my school from um, the old name, which was like Black Belt Studios, to Red Cat Academy. Uh, and, and Red Cat because it was my old nickname. It, it's just nice. Our, our football team in our hometown is the Geelong Cats. So there's a tie-in with the Cats. But my personal reason for Red Cat is, and this is what got, harks back to my original nickname, is Nine Lives. You got nine lives. How can you still alive after what just happened? <laughs> so, um, and my life has been a little bit like that. So, a cat. You have that saying in America: "Cat has nine lives." Yeah, yeah. So, cat nine lives. And the way I think of it is not so much nine lives, or you know, you're lucky to get out of that one, but it's more that we should be open to the idea of reinventing ourselves as human beings as we train. So, what you want as a twenty year old should be different as a 30-year-old, as a 35-year-old, as a 40-year-old. You know, you shouldn't be thinking about jiu-jitsu the same way as a 50-year-old as you thought about it as a 20-year-old. What's important in your life as a 55-year-old should be different than what was important in your life when you were, you know, 30. So I think we should all be open to the concept of reinventing who we are, what's important, where we want to put our time, what we want to achieve, and that's a constantly evolving thing. So therefore, cat, nine reincarnations of yourself, 29 reincarnations, 109 reincarnations, and that's where that's what it means to me. We started this talking about, you, know, you look at things, not even on a 10-year scale, like I think you said 20 or 25 years out, and in that amount of time, uh, you're going to make a lot of changes, and you need to, to yeah. ex- expect that, I think, in your, in your journey, because... Uh, even the jiu-jitsu I'm doing that, that I did 10 years ago um, is not the same as, as what I'm doing now. And if I wanted to, to – I heal a lot slower than I did 10 years ago. So I need to consider that when I'm rolling. I don't want to be uh, sore tomorrow or even next week from what I'm doing. And when I was younger, I wouldn't even be sore that you know at all. So yeah. uh, like my expectations are changed. I need to – to, to know that and versus like get hit with that as a defeated person and well I'm I'm too sore to train anymore. And so kind of maybe 
um, I don't know if that's a good example or not of the, the nine lives example, but it just change the way I look at myself and and keep doing uh, the things that I want to do or change. Yeah, what I want to do. Well, that was about an approach. You know, so your apo- approach to jujitsu or life or earning money or health or exercise or diet has to keep evolving and changing, but also what you want to achieve. What you what do you want to get out of it? Why are you doing it? That wants to change. You might have started out wanting to break people's arms, but in the end, you might want to learn to solve problems. In, in the end, you might want to understand more about, you know, making small gains. So, so what you want out of it is also going to change uh, and evolve as you go on. So, I think we just willing, we need to be willing and open to the concept of continually reinventing ourselves. That sounds good, and and. Uh Cats are tough. I just got to, I mean, you talk about nine lives. I've, I've, uh, I remember when I was uh, a kid, uh, the neighbor cat was missing, you know, so everybody looked for the neighbor cat, can't find it. And several weeks later, we find it, it was locked in the shed and it was perfectly fine. It, no food, no water for like several weeks. And it, I don't, maybe it was getting food somehow, but it's just, they, sometimes they do have nine lives. I'm not advocating do that to an animal, but uh, it's just the idea that they, some of some animals, some cats are just, Tough animals, so. <laughs> well, I, I kind of went a little off topic there, and I want to go uh, more off topic, but like in your area, uh, you mentioned last time that you do some some backpacking. You, you'll you'll throw a backpack on with some gear, and you, you get it with a buddy, and you'll just head out and uh, and experience the world that way. Uh, could you just tell me like a little bit about um, what you do when you go backpacking? I, I, I love doing that. That's my. That's one of the things I do. That's my. What do you call it? Rejuvenation. You know, my like rather than going to holiday, stay in a hotel. I mean, that's my rejuvenation. Um, I like to go out in the wild and be self-sufficient, and you know, and, and get to some pristine environments um, where there are no other people, and I'm just out there. I, I just love that. It re-energizes me. Uh, I've been doing that for I don't know, 35 years or something like that. Um, now it's all with technology. I've got my pack down to about. I guess 20 pounds, which is very light compared to what it used to be like 50 pounds. So, you know, very small tents and a super lightweight pack. You can get it REI and stuff like that. They've got lightweight packs that only weigh two pounds now. Um, so you can get all your kit down to a very small um, bundle, which means you can jump and swim and run and leap. You know, you can do all that stuff. So it's easier. The, the walking's more pleasant. So I like to go to places, I mean, go to the northwest regions of Australia, up in the Kimberleys, where I've been dropped off five or six times by a helicopter, maybe 300 kilometres, maybe 150 miles from the nearest road, um, which is difficult to do in America. I think in the contiguous non- United States, the place that is furthest from a road is uh, in the middle of uh, the southwest, southeast corner of um, Yellowstone National Park, uh, I think. Um, in the contiguous, that doesn't count Alaska. Um, so that's the point. And even then, you're only 60 miles, I think, from the nearest road. But in Australia, it's way more remote, right? So we can be hundreds of miles from the nearest road, dirt road. Yeah. Now, when you're out there, you're <laughs> alone. That's it. Um, and then I'll walk up a river or something and then get a chopper to come back and pick me up a week later. So I've done a, a fair bit of that in different parts of Australia and in New Zealand, which is also beautiful and it's got some great backcountry. Um, very little in America, but something in the Sierra Nevadas a couple of times. But I want to go to that remote 
southeast corner of Yellowstone, and then I'd like to do some stuff in Alaska, obviously. Um, yeah, so I'm Mongolia. So so it's there's some good stuff. I, I just love love doing that. You got your little pack on your back, and away you go. And I have an agenda. I like doing fly fishing. So uh, I us- it's usually to do with a river system somewhere in some remote part of the world, and I walk up that that river system catching and releasing fish. Okay. I, I, last time we talked about this, and we didn't know if this would be uh, of much interest, and it turned out that people were interested in this. So I want to go a little <laughs> deeper. Um, you do fishing, so I'm guessing you're eating the fish. You're, are you drinking right out of the stream, or are you filtering water, or how do you take care of those needs? Most. Most of the time where I go, it's pristine, so you're drinking out of the stream. There are no cattle and no farms and no humans. It, and that's where, like on the Appalachian Trail or, you know, what do you call it, the, the Pacific Crest Trail or something, there's so many people on there that you've got problem with human waste contaminating the water and giardia and stuff like that. But where I go, that's not my, – my number one rule is I don't want to see another human being. I cannot do that. So – I'm going to places where I can drink straight out of the water, no problem. Um, so I don't have to take a water filter or a pump or anything like that. So usually it's a, it's it's pretty cool. Um, what was your other question? Uh, you just water? you're eating the fish and and, and catching your food oh, basically. Oh. Um, sometimes, but ninety five percent of the time, I catch and release. So I'll catch them and I'll put them back. Um, a lot of the time, because I'm catching trout, I believe them to be a precious resource. So Something that survived seven winters of spawning, going up, doing all that. I don't want to kill that thing if I, unless I have to. So I pretty much take my own food. Most of the time I take my own food in my pack, vegetables and pasta and porridge and things like that. Um, and, and I do that. But I might, you know, if I'm out for a week, I might eat one fish, something like that. Okay. I'm just trying to, to figure what's in, your, what's in your pack. If it's sounds like you're bringing some, quite a bit of food actually is, is, is some of the weight that you're carrying. That's most of the weight. So that was one of my reasons for originally. I remember David Meyer, you know, who you've done an interview with, one of my very best friends in the world, who's getting married this May. Right. I'm coming out for his wedding. It's going to be fun. Um, so David and I went hiking in Yosemite Valley. He took a watermelon <laughs> <laughs> and four books. Um, what's the guy's the comedian's name? Carlin. Carlin, who died a little while ago. Um, but – David, we said David's struggling all day. Like he's sweating and he's dying, and I've got like a fifteen-pound pack, and he's got a thirty-five-pound pack because he's a veget- vegan. So he's got lots of boxes of soya protein, soy, soya, soy, yeah, soy, tofu, tofu. He's got boxes of tofu, a watermelon, a cantaloupe. <laughs> so we finally roll up. I said we're going to camp here. I couldn't believe what was coming out of his pack. Oh, my goodness. Um, so having a really lightweight pack and getting your sleeping bag down to a one-pound sleeping bag, you know, getting your thermarest down to just use a three-quarter, very small thermarest and a tent. If you get all that stuff down, it does leave room for some luxuries like a book and a watermelon. <laughs> <laughs> but the food is the trick. That's the hardest thing. So I actually like to take pasta because uncooked pasta, it doesn't – it's heavy, but it doesn't take up much room because it's not just the weight, but you've got to be able to fit this stuff in there. So, you know, out of one big packet of pasta, you can get three meals out of that or four. And then, you know, things like dried tomatoes and dried olives and stuff, 
take up very little room and dry mushrooms and they're very lightweight, but they can make that pasta really hearty and healthy. So there's, you know, you think it through custard powder. That's a good one, right? It doesn't take up much room, but boy, that's pretty nice. Have a hot bowl of custard at nighttime there. So you, you can get that stuff down so you can fit it all in there with a bit of thought. I began by doing a simple idea. Can I half the weight of everything? Get my toothbrush, snap it in half. <laughs> uh, right? And just yeah. do that with everything. Instead of the metal cup, plastic cup or titanium cup. And you start going through that process and you can make a 30-kilo pack, a 15-kilo pack. And that just makes the walking and the jumping and the leaping and the swimming just that much more pleasant because it's about you know enjoying the experience, not torturing yourself. Okay, 150 miles from a road. Um, mm-hmm. How does that change the way you think about certain things? Like if you um, get injured or if you're lost, you're not just a little bit lost, but you could be really lost. Like yeah. what changes don't, in your it, mind? <laughs> don't get lost. I've never been lost. I couldn't imagine that. I do have a really good sense of where the hell I am. Um, but it does change you a little bit. I've, I, I Look, to be – to be completely honest with you, I've just been in denial about all the bad things that could happen. <laughs> um, no, really, I have. Yeah. Uh, but and I've forged ahead, and all kinds of weird things have happened to me. Um, but it's only the last few years. Now I'm thinking a bit. I'm being a bit more responsible. So the last time we did a big trip, we actually took a satellite phone, an Iridium phone. So you can um, iridium phone. You, you don't have to buy one. You can you can hire it. It's only it's no bigger than your normal cell. It's like the little old cell phone of maybe eight years ago. Okay. You know, like a handset that you have in your house. Yeah. It's about that big now, so it's easy. You can hire it for a hundred dollars, ninety dollars a week or something. It might be cheaper in America, and and so there's your you know you've got that, and that's better than having an EPIRB or something you know that you can that's only like. You're going to use it or not. It's If you press it, helicopters are going to come or you don't use it. If you have a sat phone, you can call up and go, hey, listen, I, I, I ate this thing. I'm feeling a bit funny. What should I do? And then they can say, well, just lay down and see if it goes away. You know, you can get advice or you can do things like that. So I, I take, I'm going to take one of them from now on. I've done it once and I think that's going to be my new plan. Yeah, sounds like a, a good safety plan. Yeah, I think just be sensible. I never used to do it, and we we've been we had snakes go at us, and crocodile leap at me, and you know, be washed down a river and fallen off a cliff. I've done everything like that, and just nine lives, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I'm up to my eighth, so I'm getting a sat phone. <laughs> yeah, that that the trapeze net is kind of uh, been taken away a little bit on number eight, and uh, you have to be a little more careful. Thin. It's wearing thin. <laughs> Oh man, um, can you think of a time that you were out and um, you forgot a critical piece of gear and, and how you overcame that? No. Okay. Uh, well, uh, well, well the, yeah. My wife just reminded me. The nearest thing is I've been dehydrated. I've 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 looked at a map and there's been a, there's been a if I walk along there up on that ridge line, I get to this. I get there's, there's lots of streams. You know, every two kilometres, I'll have water. That's good looking at the map. As it turned out, those streams had all dried up to there was nothing and they were all flowing into a river, but the river was in a gorge that was so deep I could not climb down. 
So I was dehydrated. I'd done, it was like 45 degrees. I don't know how that, it's Celsius. Well over wow. 100. Yeah. But, and I had no water for eight hours. It doesn't sound like much, but now I'm not thinking clearly. My brain's not working. And that was one of the scariest experiences I've had. And it's happened to me twice where I've been severely dehydrated. So it's not gear malfunction, but it's just that. And that's very, very scary because your your intelligence disappears. You know, it's like your IQ drops from 140 to 60. And, yeah. You know, you're going, oh, my goodness, I can't figure out whether I should climb, try to climb down that little ledge to the water with my pack on or should I take my pack off? And that decision alone takes you 35 minutes to figure it out. So it's just you turn into a moron, you know, and that, that's, that's the, worst, the worst thing that's happened to me. It, it kind of, to, to bring it back into jiu-jitsu, it's like um, – not doing that drill that it put you in a bad spot, you know, and 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 you get in a in a bad spot and it's foreign to you, and your jujitsu intelligence goes down. You're not, you know what to do, you, you but you just can't get your body to do it, and it, the situation is a very difficult spot to be in. Yeah, yeah, but the thing to think is, for me, what got me through those things is I need to take action, and the longer I wait to take action, yeah. the situation's gonna get worse. So I'm gonna do so I'm gonna bite the bullet and make a decision and then live with the consequences. And you know, and it's obviously it's it's worked out because I'm talking to you. <laughs> um, but it it, it, it it seemed very dire at the time. But it was the it was the I'm I need to take action and I need to do it now. You know? Yeah. That, that and, and I'm I'm just sitting here trying to figure it out. That's not helping. And if I continue to do that for another day, I'm dead. So I need to do something. So take action. Pull the trigger, which we've learned on the mat, right? Pull yeah. the trigger. Yeah. And live with the consequences. As long as you have a, a few more of those cat lives left anyway. <laughs> because, you know, quite often people don't pull the trigger. Yeah. They, they, they endlessly weigh up. And this can happen, the smarter you are, the more you're can likely to do that, Byron. So if you're a, a smart guy, you can tend to go, well, there's 327 reasons why I should. Oh, but there's 328 reasons why I shouldn't. Oh, but there's 329. And you endlessly do that and not take action. Whereas someone who wasn't so smart might just do it. They'll just, they'll pick left or right and do it. And meanwhile, they've had the property for eight years, but you've just you're still trying to figure out whether you should buy, get into the property market and what the pros and cons. But they've done it, and their property's doubled in value because they're an idiot and jumped in without thinking it through. Yeah, I mean that, that that's a good example. I mean, just sometimes action is the right thing. Yes, so I try to get people to pull the trigger, you know, and then live with it and figure it out. But pulling the trigger is kind of important on yeah. the mat and off the mat. Yeah, I I agree, and there's, uh, I've had a great time talking with you. Do you have any? I have a lot of topics that we didn't cover, but we're coming up uh, over an hour already. Um, do you have any? We could always do it again. Absolutely, uh, and we you know we what? need to. I looked it up. Our, the last time you were on was episode one hundred and seven, uh, so uh, it, we'll we'll have to just get you on again and, and cover more topics. But do you have any any last words of advice you want to give somebody um, who's training jujitsu? 
Ah, oh, every year is a new year. We're in a new year right now. People make New Year's resolutions. So maybe some people listening to this podcast are partway through um, succeeding or failing at their New Year's resolution, you know, to become a blue belt, to get a better uh, triangle, to lose some weight, to get healthier, to whatever. But just remember this, every day is an opportunity for a reinvention. Every day. Every day is New Year's Day. So we can wake up today. Tonight's the night. Today, tomorrow's the day. So it doesn't have to be a special day, January 1st. Every day is an opportunity to reinvent the way we uh, approach our training, uh, to reinvent what's important to us, to reprioritize our goals, um, to, you know, to forgive, to whatever. So it's all every day is a new day. So, um, and we're also fortunate to have that day. And we're all, if we listen to this podcast, we each, you have the opportunity right now to uh, reinvent uh, yourself as a human being or just as a blue belt. Uh, maybe that'll work. Absolutely. And thank you uh, for the interview today. And um, I've had as much fun as I did the first time around. And, and I'm sure that uh, the audience gained a lot of great information from you today. Great. Th- thank you very much, Byron. Well, I'd like to thank John Will for taking the time out to uh, talk to us and uh, uh, drop some knowledge to our listeners here. Uh, I'll tell you, the part that you know that I would love to do, I like where he talked about, uh, really not jujitsu related, but he talked about his adventures he would do. Um, when he talked about you know taking a helicopter or getting dropped off, you know, what, 100 miles from any road or village in uh just a backpack and his buddy and they would just uh, just get dropped off and find their way back and just uh, whatever came in front of them they would enjoy and uh, and just have some fun out there but that's something I think I would like to do if if I was with a guy like John Will and knew what he was doing <laughs> probably not make it out but um, that man that's a you know that's like every every kid's you know every kid has thought up that in their mind wanting to do that but how many people actually do it? Very, very, very few. John's one of the one of the few. But uh, when he was talking about that, that just uh, piqued my interest really big, right there. Yeah, having I've done a little bit of backpacking, and backpacking is different different than hiking. Hiking, you you go somewhere and come back uh, before the night. Backpacking, you have your stuff with you, and you set up a camp, and you sleep, and you uh, you know deal with food and water and that sort of thing. But um, this, I mean, the, the reality of this. It, this is hard. Like he's he's so far out there, he, you know. He luckily with the you know I don't know luck, but today's modern day and age, satellite phones and those sort of things, he's able to get help if he needs it. And in Australia, everything can kill you in Australia. Like, I mean, uh, you got taipan snakes, you got the brown snakes, yeah, you got everything out there. Any spider is going to be lethal. Spiders, they're all crazy. Saltwater crocs. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I like our. Uh, we got a couple of rattlesnakes over here, Gary. And uh, I guess a cottonmouth and a, and, a, and a copperhead, and those are about all we have to worry about for killing us. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> well, I guess those are kind of bad too. But it just seems everything's like the top ten poisonous snakes. They're Australia. The top, yeah. you know, like I don't know. But uh, I think the idea of it sounds fun. But in reality, I think after about a day and a half, I would become pretty darn tired uh, and uh, and want to do some jujitsu and and want a pretty good meal. So I think I would tap out earlier than you would, Gary, on this sort of an adventure. Uh, hoping to make it uh, maybe three or four days and then just want to be home. 
<laughs> sleep in a bed. <laughs> I'm I a wimp, John I guess. John should Gary. write a book on that, and I think I would definitely read it. I I and it, I hope John's still listening to this because uh, we talked about this a little bit at uh, during at the, at the last interview we did. And I was like, bring cameras, bring a little video camera, and film like a little bit of a journal of what's going on. People would love it. I mean, did, yeah, get like a GoPro camera. Yeah, just just record. You know, 10, 20 minutes of video each day, and then you can boil that down to, you know, whatever you think is is good to watch, and and do your little little I adventure mean, with John Will. You know, that that'd be so fun to watch. Yeah, he's been doing this for a long time, and here in the U.S., I mean, we've got all those shows just like this: Naked and Afraid, uh, Dual Survival, and he's been doing it for longer than that. And like like you said, if he just put it online, think all all every jujitsu guy. Would jump on it. It's John Will. It's like who would miss John Will? (laughs) Gary, for the listeners out there, and I'm sure a lot of them have heard about this. uh, Gary has been trying to get me to do Naked and Afraid with him for a long time, and I just have been refusing to play along with that uh, reality show. Yeah, I've been trying. (laughs) I don't understand why Byron. You know, I told him we were going to go out in my backyard, uh, (laughs) do it there, so we didn't even have to go anywhere. But uh, he won't. For some reason, I don't know what it is. I, I don't know if it's because when I come pick him up, I pick him up in a van with blacked out windows oh. and a false floor. That might be it. And that might the van be says it. free candy on it. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Gary, th- th- that would be a terrible reality show with us on there, but uh, I would definitely be afraid. I don't blame you. <laughs> Gary, this, that would be a... Uh, terrible reality show that nobody would gather around and enjoy, but people are gathering around and enjoying our uh, various social media outlets, you know, YouTubes, uh, Facebooks, and uh, Twitters, and that sort of things. So that's where yeah. we could be found and uh, contacted pretty easily. Also, bjjbrick at gmail.com is an easy way to get a hold of us, and uh, we just like chatting with you guys and seeing what's happening in uh, in your in your part of the world. Yeah, and don't forget to tell your friends about our podcast. Uh, the best way to get our get our podcast out there is for you to tell your friends. And like we were talking about Jimmy's article, you get that camaraderie with everybody you train with, and uh, you normally all like the same stuff. So uh, share our uh, share our podcast with them, and uh, hopefully they'll like it too. Yep, and that's I think that's what caused a lot of the great success with the last interview with John Will is because people were just saying you've got to listen to this. Um, you know, I, I highly recommend this, and 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 people literally told their friends about the podcast, and it really helped uh, helped us get some growth. And because his, you know, John Will being who he is, um, really uh, people in, enjoyed hearing from him. I think so, and I know yeah. that's the same with this episode. Yep, yeah. I've tried to tell all my friends, but in all reality, I only have two, and one of them's on this show. So uh, that's why we need you to tell your friends. There you go. Speaking of telling friends, a great way to tell uh, people anonymously is to write us a review uh, on iTunes. Uh, go on there, and, and it's just a way to people will find our show and see, hey, what's this about? And they'll check that out uh, in the review area. And if they see your review and it's kind to us, hopefully, um, they'll be more interested in it. Uh, we appreciate all the five-star reviews. We appreciate any of the reviews we get. If you live in the United States... And write us a, a review and make it kind of funny. And there's plenty of examples to read uh, on our reviews page that are like poking fun at us or, or just being silly about jujitsu or podcasts in general. Uh, you're asked a funny review. Send us an email at bjjbrick at gmail.com and I will mail you out a, a small uh, BJJ Brick Gee Patch 
right to your address that you provide uh, in that email. So um, just our way of saying thank you, and uh, we appreciate the funny reviews. And occasionally we'll read a, a nice funny review on the air as well. And it'll get you entered for review of the year. So uh, don't forget that. Yep, that's uh, going to be a annual contest, the review of the year. What annual means every year. So uh, just in case you didn't know that. <laughs> If uh, so, John Will is on the other side of the world for us. He or from us, he's in Australia. There, Gary and I are located in Wichita, Kansas, which I describe as two above Texas uh, as far as states goes. But if you happen to be in the Wichita area, um, send us that email at bjjbreakout@gmail.com. We'll be happy to spend some mat time with you if it's at all possible. And uh, it's always good to train with uh, the listeners. How many states below North Dakota are we? Several. Okay. <laughs> oh, Gary, you putting me on the spot there, and uh, I don't know, three or four. There's Nebraska. I don't know. I was hoping you know. I think it's Nebraska and South Dakota. Yeah, and then North Dakota. North Dakota's above. South Dakota. Yeah, so we they didn't South flip Dakota, them. Nebraska, and then us. Maybe? They thought about flipping them, but it just yeah. didn't make any sense. Well, because one's north and one's south, it wouldn't make sense. Yeah. That switched their names. Yeah, this is yeah. Uh, this is all true. Well, none of that was true, actually, Gary. Okay. About the about the name flip, but name uh, flip. <laughs> this isn't the BJJ Geography podcast, Gary. We're talking about bricks and we brick-like did have the book objects. We, a few weeks ago. Yes, we did. And uh, this is the time of the show when the music kind of comes on and tells us that Gary is right, talking time about. To <laughs> time to end the show. Not quite. You want to take another guess? Uh, time to my ebook. There you go. Gary's working on an ebook, and uh, if you're new to the show, uh, welcome to the show here. This is the, the portion of the show when I uh, will throw an ebook title to Gary, and he will come up with some substance and hopefully produce this book well within a week, and uh, and it will be available for uh, sale or download. He's yet to produce any ebooks ever, but uh, n- not this one. I think this one will get made, right, Gary? Sometime I'll make. We, Not sure if it's going to be this one. Er, yeah, earlier in the show, we were talking about uh, you trying to make a kid's book, and part of the problem was you just didn't have a good title. You know, you didn't have the illustrations, which you're working on that now. You've got an illustrator. Uh, I think it's your son. I'm not sure by the quality of the work that um, maybe it was him a few years ago because he's quite the artist now. But the book now is called Go, Gary, Go. See, Gary, Roll. See, Gary, Tap. Seems like, is it, is it a kid's book or is it a jiu-jitsu book? Or what's going on there, Gary? Well, it's a kid jiu-jitsu book. It's a, it's a learn-all. It's basically, uh, the, the cool thing about this book is is you don't have to have a really high IQ to read it. <laughs> but, I mean, it's good for the young folks to the older folks. And the best thing about this book is it actually teaches you to do jiu-jitsu by tapping you out. I mean, because it's like, see Gary tap. It's all about getting tapped out. Your defense is going to become top-notch. There's no offense in this book. It's all defense. But, you know, I've worked with uh, some of the best minds. And this book, you will not believe it, is a pop-up book. Nice. And every time you turn a page, if you got holding the book in front of you and you turn a page to a pop-up, it's going to take your arm and stretch it out. It's going to choke you. The Every page is a different submission. What do you get put in the heel hook submission? I couldn't walk for three days. So the nice thing is, 
is you can over and over get put in all these different moves and you're going to have to get out of them. So it's a, it really teaches you your defense. By the time you've read this book over 100 times, your defense will be top notch. You won't be able to tap anybody out, but you will not get tapped out. That's my guarantee. So uh, definitely check this out. It'll take your, your jiu-jitsu game defensively to new heights. It's a first of its kind, very innovative design. And um, like I said, I worked with all the top scientists in the world to make uh, this pop-up book that actually taps you out. Well, okay, this is an amazing thing, and and uh, I'm going to be giving this book to people I don't actually like and, and watching them struggle to get out of these techniques as they open up to page 17, the Hill Hook chapter. And, uh, well, the thing is, what happens a lot of times, people really don't know what the book's about. They don't read the, the jacket that tells you what it's about. So they open the first page, and next thing you know, they're asleep. Because so, um, the very first one is a, is a rear naked choke. There you go. It's so, like a nap time yeah. book. Yep. Gets the yeah. job done every time. I never thought about that. I could I could market that as a as a uh, book to put your kid to sleep. <laughs> oh man. Okay, Gary. We look forward to seeing this book on shelves soon. And uh, for liability purposes, the only thing you have left to do is get the lawyer uh, stuff signed and everything like that. The book is already made. I've already. Uh, you know, checked it out and tried to block most of the techniques that come at me. But uh, yeah. huge liability with this type of a product you've been making. But yeah. uh, you'll get it figured out, the, I'm sure. The book does come with a hold har- harmless waiver that you have to sign first. So uh, before you get it, you have to sign the waiver that says you will hold me harmless if uh, <laughs> if you do get hurt in the uh, reading of this book. All right. It's the only book of its kind that came with a hold harmless agreement. There we go. Gary is setting uh, records and... Uh, the bar at a higher level with this new book and uh, that's just exciting uh, to hear about Um, next week speaking about exciting to hear about we have Bruce Hoyer and uh, Bruce has a very unique way of teaching a class Um, literally you go to his class it looks like like total chaos unless you know what's going on everybody's doing uh, their individualized lessons lesson plans and he's got a whole system system set up with videos and uh using a lot of technology a lot of leveraging of technology uh, to get this uh, this class um, going and uh, he's getting great results with it uh, he's definitely uh, doing something that I've never heard of before and uh, I, I'm very interested in sharing with the community uh, very interested to hear what everybody has to say but uh, just a different way of teaching jiu-jitsu uh, to people that uh, that want to learn it you know and, and, and he's found good results with it so uh, we have Bruce on uh, next week so definitely make sure you tune in next week. All right. As always, stay sweaty, my friends. And don't forget to shower. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, if speaking about uh, terrible reality show ideas, if you want to share one with us, uh, probably the best way is to get a hold of us with our Facebook account, uh, Beaches of Brick. Uh, damn, I butchered this, Gary. Speaking of terrible reality shows, we have a uh, that, okay man. I am strong. <laughs> that Gary, this that would be a uh, terrible reality show that nobody would gather around and enjoy. But people are gathering around and enjoying our uh, various social media outlets, you know. 